and welcome to our weekly podcast of Womankind Collective with me, Lou Hopkins-Thompson and me, Jinty Sheeran. Join us as we embark on a fun and educational journey, talking to experts and advocates on subjects that are often taboo. So go and get the kettle on, settle in for a chat and probably a lot of laughter along the way. There's been an underlying theme of bravery running through this series and today we talk to one very brave woman who 15 years ago at 34 had her third child, expecting the birth to be easy after all she'd done it twice before, but the birth of her son was far from easy, so much so that she has struggled with mental health and physical health problems ever since. We chat to Dawn about her her experience and how it led to a court case finding the NHS negligent on 16 counts. We will be discussing chapter eight of our book collective, How to Live When You Could Be Dead by Dame Deborah James. This month's foodie collective theme is frugal cooking and Lou has a delectable dish for us to try. Find out how I got on with Lou's poetry reading WI this week as we reveal our personal favourites. And finally, we have a quote for the week um we've had some great comments again this week oh, Lou, haven't we we certainly had and we had a very very lovely voicemail from sandra Cynthia and lou it's sandra sidrick here doing my dog walk with dolly where i listen to you guys um i just want to say i so love the podcast and i regularly walk along the street laughing my head off people looking at me as if to query what I'm actually doing because they have no clue what I'm listening to but in terms of the episode where you talk about friendships and how important women's friendships are this absolutely resonates with me and in lots of ways listening to the podcast is like almost having a chat with friends as well I just feel that we get to learn so much about you and um Jinty, I also annoy myself very often and uh, never know when to shut up. So I think it's a, a shared trait in um, as women, perhaps, maybe. So sending lots of love to you guys and keep doing what you're doing because it brightens up. What a lovely message. Nice to hear somebody's voice for it other than ours. I loved opening that this week. It was like opening a little parcel for Christmas, wasn't it? It was, Lou. Really nice. So if you want to leave a message, you can leave it on Anchor. And there's a little link that I have put on our link tree on Instagram. Or it's from Anchor um, FM, where you can listen to the podcast as well. Fantastic. So we've had some more comments. So the gorgeous Amantha, um, my menopause coach, she commented... You make me laugh so much. I love listening to you. You accompany me throughout the week, driving in the dark to collect my daughter from the train station. You are the light and fun on those dark evenings. Please don't ever stop this podcast or being fabulous. Oh, how lovely. Thank you, Amantha. Lovely Elena told us never knew about seed cycling until heard it with you two lovelies at Womankind Collective this morning. I shall be sharing this and give this a bash for sure. Thank you, Naomi. And Michelle B adds, fab episode as ever. Thank you all. 
for all you do to bring awareness to us all. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. And it was great for, to hear from Julie C. in Scotland. She told us, loved this week's podcast, ladies. Seed cycling now well and truly on my radar. And Jane on Instagram commented on our book collective choice. Love Deborah James's book and makes you realize just how precious life is. I work in a nursing home and it's so filled with memories. Oh, lovely. Thank you, Jane. And, you know, we were discussing the bravest things we have done, Lou. Yeah. Well, Emma from Middling Along podcast told us that she's not sure if it's the bravest, but the hardest thing to do was to sit with her sister after we made the decision to turn off her life support and let her go. Very brave and hard indeed. Yeah, Yeah, very much so. And our discussion on friendship struck a chord with Rachel, who told us, oh, gosh, your chat about friendships really struck me because I genuinely don't know what it means to have a best friend. I think this stems from my military childhood. I learned not to give myself to one or two particular friends because either way, either they or I had to move away sooner or later. And then Rachel adds that my husband is my best friend. I love that. But it's not quite the same thing, is it? I should also say I am very content in my own company. Some of us are just loners. I don't think it's loners. Some of us, you're just happy as you are. Yeah, yeah. And I think some people have, uh, they thrive on loads of friends. And other people just thrive with just one or two. You wouldn't thrive I would on be thriving. I'd be thriving. I'd be in a constant state off. of anxiety. <laughs> my God, have I talked to them? What am I doing? <laughs> and Mrs. Medical said that she loved the curry idea, but that she loved the tomato poem oh, even your more. your dad's tomato yeah. poem. And lastly, Rachel joined in on our WI of attempting not to over-apologize. And she commented, you'd be so proud of me today. Instead of ending an email with apologies for not being able to do what you've asked, I said, thank you for your understanding. Brilliant. We were very proud of you, Rachel. Thank you very much. How's your week been? I should say your last fortnight, Jinx. I haven't seen you. No, I know. It seems a long time, oh, I doesn't did it? Miss you. I know. It's good to be back, it isn't, is, it? isn't it? It was great, actually. I had a, well, uh, as you know, I went to Scotland um, for a wedding, and um, which was lovely. It was very four weddings oh, in a castle. Yeah, I love a wedding. With a piper. Yeah, it's lovely. And kilts. Yeah, a few kilts. Uh, Nobody had a heart attack and died, like in the film. Thank thank the Lord. 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 Um, But yeah, it was very good. You'd be all right, though. Yeah, could be be CPR. Yeah. Be fine. You're all right. They'd live. Yeah, they would. Um, but it got me thinking, Lou, about marriage and, and how people, because obviously during the speeches, you find out how people met. And this this couple didn't meet um, through online, but they, they met um, through work, actually. But I was looking at a recent study by the Marriage Foundation called Relative Strangers, the Importance of Social Capital for Marriage. They su- surveyed 2,000 married adults age 30 and over and it found that a third 32 percent of those marrying in the last two years met online on dating apps and websites this is i mean i'm i'm married as as you know same as you and and see that worries me 
about online dating, I don't think I'd have the tolerance for me flicking through of an evening. I know. It's funny, isn't it? Because the, the, the youth, the youth of today, they're yeah. very just used to it. Yeah, it, it's how Especially after it lockdown. I mean, we used to meet ours in a pub and it was the last man standing. He'll do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's, he's on his he's own. He's all right. <laughs> he's, he's on his own. He's right. <laughs> just about. <laughs> he's got his beer goggles on. Yeah. That's all I, right. So I look great. Yeah. But it's a completely different thing that we're, we're not used to. Um, and uh, what the survey found is up from 1% that met online in the 90s, in the 1990s, 7% in the 2000s, um, with researchers predicting that this will grow to more than 50% by 2035. Price. But what was surprising, this was quite interesting, um, the study discovered that the married couples who meet online are six times more likely to divorce in the first three years of marriage, that's 12%, um, than couples who met at university or via family or work or friends, which is only 2%. I suppose, really, you've got to think you've got a little bit more history, maybe, with them. Yeah. More things in common, as in joint friendships. Yeah. Um, and you usually get talking to them about maybe music or something you've got in common. Whereas online, it's you're actually looking visually, do you like them? That's yeah. going to be your first tick. Yeah. And then everything else will come after. Well, yeah. No, looks fade, gents. Yeah. Yeah, they do. You Style know. never does. Never. No, never, never goes does. out. Um, but you're so right, Lou. And that's what they found in this study. Um, because it, what it says is, ha however, if they stick with it by 10 years of marriage, it's those who've met through the workplace that appear to have the highest rate of divorce at 24% uh, compared to 20% that met online. Um, and so what the study seems to suggest is that social networks, like you like mm. we were saying, friends, uh, introduced by friends or workplaces, they play an important role in supporting couples during their first three years. So social capital, they call it, okay. includes a network of friends and family who usually share similar values and beliefs. These can include living in the same area or working together, similar um, mutual friends, as you said. Um, groups with high social capital are usually considered to function better because of their shared goals and informal support they provide. So, yeah, that's quite but interesting. It is. So, so, so if you can get through, if you make, met online, you can get through those first three years. Yeah, you're right. You're, fine. you're done. Yeah, you're, you're done. okay. Um, but what it also says, Lou, it says one strong possibility for the higher divorce rates is that couples are marrying, as you said, as relative strangers. They haven't really mm. given it time. They haven't gathered that valuable, reliable information. Because I don't like you, but you always used to seek out a friend of, somebody you were seeing what's he like or didn't you you know you'd find yeah. out that background See, I just information even in, in the pub and he had the he had shorts on in November and he had the brownest legs that was it and I was like those legs are coming home with me yeah I mean that was 28 years ago they still tanned yeah yeah <laughs> he still likes a pair of shorts he does doesn't he <laughs> those legs are coming home with me <laughs> nothing else just the legs send them legs babe <laughs> So another thing, did you realize this week, this sort of caught my eye this week, it's 70 years. So November the 14th, which is today, the day we're recording, will mark 70 years since the first singles chart was oh. published by the new Musical Express, the NME, NME Percy Dickens in 1952. So wow. do you know, Lou, you might have found out. I don't know. Do you I know? Don't know? I don't know anything. What was number one when you were born? I do. 
Congratulations. Yes, it was. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you found out. Two weeks. It was so two weeks. Disappointed. It was that one. Of, I was like, can't be so nice and edgy. No. Of all the fantastic music there was in the late sixties. Oh, I got Cliff. <laughs> you got Cliff. What did so you get? Cliff and Richard. I got quite quite a cool one. On. Mine is um, the Israelites by Desmond Decker oh. and the Aces. Yeah, he, there was yeah. only number one for a week, um, and um, I'm and oh, yeah, and I found that Dawn. Nice. If you are listening, Dawn, who we are speaking to later on um uh i found out so hers is slade mama we're all crazy now three weeks at number one what do i get you get sir clifford of richard congratulations (laughs) i bet everyone was singing that to your mum if it was number one can you imagine i bet she didn't feel up for it either i bet she didn't (laughs) just fuck off cliff (laughs) shut the fuck up And one more very silly thing, Lou, okay. but it just caught my fancy because I, I was in stitches when I when I heard it. Do you know what puddle pants are? No, but I might have them in a minute because I need a word. Go on. <laughs> yeah, I do actually as well. Well, apparently Kylie Jenner was very brave this week. I say brave in inverted commas um, as she uh, and and I quote, this is again what it said in the paper, dares to wear puddle pants in New York this time of year basically what they are we all wore them in the 90s they're floor skimming jeans oh I got them yeah puddle pants they call them because they soak I don't think that's bravery I don't think that's bravery I think they need to reassess I do completely stupid absolutely (laughs) absolutely how's your week been Lou oh well I my google searches I've been quite X-rated this ooh, week. Oh, do we have to? Do we have to get the uh, police in, Lou? No, I still don't have to get them. In. <laughs> you don't have to get them just yet. I, I, I was um, at a friend's having a lovely supper the other evening, and um, as with a group of women, things started to turn. Oh, got turn, a bit heated. No, turn to turn towards sort of you know um, sexual things. Oh, and we were talking of love about love eggs. Oh, love eggs. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I haven't got love eggs. No. Um, and I didn't really know what love eggs were. I'll be honest with you. But then they were having the comp two of the party of said four. So 50% of us of them were talking about love eggs, about when they've been out and their partner, because they've inserted the love eggs yeah. and their partner, because it's Bluetooth it's onto the partner's phone, can start Oh. giving them a little bit of pleasure oh i see when they're out and it could be out in a crowded pub or in a restaurant talking to your mother-in-law talking to your mother-in-law <laughs> and and you can get um i, I had to actually did some research on the best love eggs to get because i started thinking oh blimey and these can be because they're bluetooth as well you, you can be quite and some of them can you can be quite a long way away yeah so you could almost have a slightly long distance sexual relationship Imagine, because sometimes I go on the train and my Bluetooth picks up all sorts of other people's oh, phones. Can you imagine? God, could you just imagine your, <laughs> if you had those love eggs on and the Exmouth to Exeter yeah. train? You could, you could be in trouble, oh my, my dear, yeah, by the could. time you got there. So I had a little, so what I had a little look at, so I started doing some research on love eggs. And I know they're very, very good for your pelvic floor because you can get the Kegel, Kegel yes. ones. For your, for your pelvic floor so they they looked quite good yeah but um if you're looking for a bit of pleasure so i went and had a look at joe divine obviously our lovely sam evans she must have some love she eggs. she had some lug yeah. eggs love eggs lug eggs lug eggs <laughs> <laughs> 
So the best ones I could find were the Lalo, Lila 2. Mm-hmm. And him. they have, they're especially made for long range lovemaking with eight settings and they're 100% waterproof. Ooh. At the moment, if you, anyone wants to purchase, they're on sale from 139 to 90 pounds on the Lalo site. But obviously that sale's not going to be on forever. If you were just going to wait for after Christmas to treat yourself with your Christmas money <laughs> to some love eggs, our lovely Jo Devine, she, she has them permanently on sale for 128.99. So cheaper, wow. obviously, when the selling. Yeah. So, uh, but I was also talking. So I thought, oh, that could be a little goer later on in life. Um, I have to get me Christmas presents first and buy me turkey first before I think what, about me love. Eggs. <laughs> what sort of size are these love eggs? Oh, it's only a little. It's, it's about. Oh, so look at me. I'm t- about two inches. About two inches. Yeah. Okay. But also, as part of this conversation, it was a lovely evening. We were talking about like you know I've got a bag in my drawer for my little yeah. you know treats yeah as I call them pleasures pleasures um but one of the friends another girl uh, there she had a bag a little black bag with her bits another one had a little bottom drawer so that was all good yeah and but one of said friends like are you ready for this yeah do you know how many pleasures she had three large metal boxes underneath her bed of pleasures well did any of them work why did she keep getting another one no, so she's got these three metal boxes. They're full of like dressing up stuff or oh, I see. They're not. I see. They're not all. I was no. thinking they were all like love eggs and vibrators. A lot and of dildos. them are, and obviously other things as well. <laughs> wow. So, so yes, yeah, so I just thought my little you was know. it somebody that you would have expected to that just shows you don't know somebody. Not sometimes. really. I no. thought she might have had like one full yeah. drawer. Yeah. But three large metal boxes. Wow. And all, all three of us around the table just looked at her and she went, is that excessive? We were like, yeah. Yeah. Depends how big the costumes are, I suppose. If well, you've I got a sumo wrestler Or a costume, dinosaur. A dinosaur costume. <laughs> you know, might turn somebody on. Well, it might. It's, yes. And yeah. I just think, again, talking to people, it's really interesting, isn't it? It is. But yeah. So my love egg search this week and then thinking about maybe I need to add, add to my yeah. tiny little bag, my little pouch. I've... I've never really been into role play. I find role play. I, I, I would laugh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, because it's, it's almost like Gavin and Stacey where um, Pamela and <laughs> they, they do Charles and Diana, don't they? That's right. Camilla. No, Camilla and That's Charles. Right. Uh, yeah. She's Camilla. Pamela is Camilla, isn't she? And, um, and Mick is Charles. And um, that always makes me laugh. So I would just think of that. I know. Yeah, yeah, I've, no, I've role, I never like the role play, play but they, you know, dressed to their own, each, each, absolutely, each to their if own. it works, fantastic. But do you know what? I couldn't dress up as a dinosaur, dinosaur, and no. say, right, do, lay do me wanna, love eggs, <laughs> lay me love eggs. No, 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 no I don't think um, there are because there's some quite good. There is, there are some quite good dressing up clothes, aren't there? Yeah, but, but I mean, with all the will in the world, when you're fucking knackered. I don't want to be sexy made. Yeah. Then you've got to get it all off again. Oh. I suppose no. you don't have to. No, I can't. I can't be doing with it. No. And let's think on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Unless anyone can point me in the right direction. Come on, let's give us a, your role play in your, yeah, in your come dressing on. We up won't, We won't mention your name. <laughs> no. Honestly. Now, the last few episodes of our podcast have all had a similar themes running through them, being too polite, fearing failure, people pleasing, and on the flip side, bravery, grit, and determination. 
Well, our guest today is demonstrating her bravery by talking to us about her very difficult experiences since her son was born 15 years ago. A working mum of two, Dawn Colgan, had a career as a specialist social worker in addiction. At 34, she had her third child, expecting the birth to be easy after all she'd done it twice before. The birth of her son was far from easy, so much so that she had PTSD and anxiety and many physical problems to battle with in the last 15 years. Dawn, who lives in Devon, bravely contacted us to tell us how listening to our podcast had helped her feel that she is not alone. And that episode with Claire Green about anxiety had particularly resonated with her, even saying that she's always felt that what happened to her was her own fault. So we invited Dawn here today to tell us her story of bravery, fearing failure, grit and determination, so welcome, Dawn. Welcome, Dawn. What an intro. Hi, hi. Thank you. So can you tell us, and we could talk about all sorts of things, but can you um, sort of begin with telling us a little bit about your life um, before your third uh, uh, baby? So you already had the two children. Um, um, tell us a bit about um, life before. Yes. So um, I was a single mum until um, my eldest, George, was eight. And then I met my husband, Mark and um, we had our child together, Esme, who is now 17. And then two years later, um, we thought, oh, let's, should we do it again? Yeah. <laughs> let's do it again. <laughs> let's have another one. And, um, and then, I had, then I got pregnant with Max. And um, bef- while all that was going on, I was working full time. Um, Esme was in nursery and also looked after by Mark because he worked at home and um, George was at high school and um, I'd while I was a single mum I trained to be a social worker I was really proud I'd managed to buy my own house you know very kind of really cocky, well. yeah 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 and independent yeah. you had your independence independent. you? yeah, yeah and but... I didn't want I didn't want to man until I'd got my own house and um because at the time when George was born there was a lot around the conservatives about like women were getting having babies to get a house yes <laughs> so um I was determined that I wasn't you know one of those you were out to and prove something Dawn I really you? was yeah, yeah good for you um and I worked in the prison for two and a half years as a drug wow. counsellor um and then I came out of there and set up a project um working with people who'd been through addiction and um we set up a day program so that to help people rehabilitate in the community so we did things like um therapeutic um group work and I used even when I was pregnant I used to drive the minibus with all these um addicts on the bus and I'd be going who's who's having a fag I can smell it (laughs) (laughs) I'm pregnant put your fags out (laughs) yeah um so yeah it was I loved my job and Mm. since having Max I haven't worked in social work again um it was a huge thing because I had to I lost all my colleagues and your kind of status about who you are you know Mm. as um if you people go well, what do you do and you go oh I'm a social worker working in addiction people used to go oh wow that's really cool but then all of a sudden you don't have that it, that's been a that was a huge loss really it's part huge of your thing. identity isn't it it's yeah that little bit of identity 
yeah so it what, was big so what <clears throat> excuse me what happened um so everything went fairly smoothly I presume with the with the birth of your uh, first two children so as you yeah, said they you, were were fine. Expect, you were expecting Max you know the, um, your third child to sort of the birth to be um, I thought I'd just pop him out and yeah. I booked a holiday for a couple of weeks later wow I just thought it would just be like it would be yeah. you know it didn't even cross my mind we had this holiday we were going on holiday um they had some concerns that he was going to be big um and so they didn't want me to go past my due date so they induced me and I think that's their first mistake really Mm. um because I only got to like I think I got to seven centimeters and it was just it was chaos in the it was at the old hospital and um they were moving out they were um, moving into the new hospital so there was hardly any staff and it was just really dirty and just at that yeah. kind of crossover period you caught it just yeah yeah oh, um and then they came in they said I needed to have um a c-section but that there was a queue um and so I had to wait um and my husband's um said that the um, medical staff kept coming in and out of the surgery and at that point it was just very chaotic and at that point I said to them you need to put me out I can't I can't be you know conscious like they even caught my cannula in the bed (laughs) it was just it was everything it was a whole list of errors there there was loud there was a radio there were people bustling around it was just horrible so they put me out um and then I woke up to my husband shoving Max in my face going look look it's your baby and I was just like I can't I just yeah I was too wow. ill and then then went back up to the ward and um I was in pain but because it was my first c-section I didn't know what was normal and it felt very much like um I was making a fuss mm. and I just had to get up and get on with it and I went and had a shower and I had a blood clot loss told the midwife um nothing happened I got discharged home um and then I started feeling really unwell mm. um and again you don't know whether it's just because it's a c-section I didn't know what you know yeah. what that was what really. was to expect you know, how... did, did no one explain at any point that, that this is no. what you should feel and this is what is going to happen nobody explained anything so that post post care yeah. from birth you 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 didn't get that at all then really you were on a so no. from having a c-section straight back onto a ward with your baby which was probably he was probably really hard to actually hold cuddled with a c-section yeah. as well Feed him. Pain yeah. You're in. yeah um and so I went home and I didn't feel very well. My husband called the midwife out who came and looked at my scar and, and said, oh, it looks fine, but it's supposed to have beads on the end of your, um, of where they stitch you together and they'd gone inside. And um, anyway, she took some swabs and then um, I went and had a bath because I didn't know, just didn't know what to do with myself. And, what um, sort of pain? Husband, sorry for asking, Dawn. What's where was the pain? Was it in, on the scar that was the pain, or, or... I just felt it all over? It, oh, it, okay. I just, just radiating felt out. Just, yeah, yeah. You just battered. felt poorly. I felt yeah. battered. Yeah, yeah, really poorly. Very sleepy. Mm. Um, and then um, 
And then we got a call when I was in the bath and my husband's going, they're saying we've got to go in. And we went in and um, I just remember a microbiologist at the end of the bed looking, he was almost rubbing his hands together about how excited he was about the bugs that they'd found. Oh my God. And and then, so I had a trip um, and then I got admitted and I was actually nursed in um, the birthing suites. So I had midwives. Yeah. So I was nursed in there, still in Heavertree. And I still had Max at that point. Um, And they'd, um, while I was there, I had something like six generals in nine days. So they kept going in and scraping out my wound. Um, And they didn't realise that I was bleeding internally. So no scan, no no scan to actually go through and see if you had blood, pockets of blood internally either. So what, no. when you said he was at the end of the bed, sort of, you know, um, rubbing, his, rubbing hands. his hands gleefully almost, what, yeah. what bugs, what, what bug, they found obviously a bug, you had some sort of infection, did you? Yeah, I had infection. So at first they were worried that I had that, um, you know, that skin eating bug. Yes. Which I, I didn't have that, but the bugs, which we later found once we'd um, gone through solicitors was that actually the bugs that I had inside me were actually feces bugs they were like poo bugs oh dawn and where did they come from dawn where exactly where did they come from yeah so i got i got put up into this room upstairs and kind of left and every time and i was on a drip and i was looking after max as well still in so much pain and every time i rang my bell i could hear the midwives moaning as they came down the corridor and uh, they were, you know, don't, you know, you need to stop making a fuss. Everybody has babies oh. and made me get in this bath, um, which was bright green and very old. And Max was just screaming and um, I'd had my wound bandaged. I had cellulitis on my wound as well. Oh, that's painful in mm. itself. Yeah. And the <laughs> midwife before had said, when they take the bandage off, make sure they soak it. And um, anyway, this midwife said, oh, no, it's fine. And she ripped my bandage and she ripped it off. And I was like, it's one of those things. I'll never forget her face. And uh, she had these piercing blue eyes. And as soon as she did that, I hemorrhaged. So um, they pressed the bell. And so then she was in this panic. And I was ringing my husband, Mark, as I was being taken down to theatre telling him to come in and get Max <laughs> you know it's just oh my gosh yeah, of course you've got still got your baby, baby right next to you with all this yeah, going on with all that going mm. on so and then I was nursed in the in the suite you know in the suites and I had like two midwives with me at the time and they kept making me sit up and feed Max and um, they kept going oh you yeah it's doing better today and I I didn't feel better no um and then um, I had um, plastic surgeon come in and um, I was advised to move over to the plastics ward at the rd And I think that was a much better place for me to be in. Um, the, as they were booking me in to the plastics ward, I had my own room and everybody had to gown up around me because of the bugs. Yeah. Then the nurse in charge said I couldn't keep Max with me they didn't have facilities to look after him 
so which was awful and then so my mum took him so my mum had Max she actually looked after him for three weeks she had a newborn she hadn't had one for like how how old how many days are we talking at this point he must have been a week old I think week to 10 days old that 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 in itself let alone everything you're going through is totally traumatic for a new mum anyway to have their child their baby taken away and through no fault yeah. of your own either for you know I know for a simple birth so yeah they'd actually got a cot and put it in the room so then they this person decided that no but actually in that moment I hemorrhaged again there was this very handsome doctor and um he was examining me talking to me and I said I think I'm bleeding and he like looked at me like blank because he's in plastics so he doesn't deal with postpartum and um and he pulled off the covers off my feet and they were just blood I had those white um funny socks on and I was just completely covered in blood and um from then I remember them tilting the bed back the alarm going off again I knew my mum was next door but Mark wasn't there Mm -hmm. um because he was looking after our daughter and um the next thing I remember is being wheeled, you know, like in the movies and you see the lights going down yes. the corridor. Yeah. Um, and I remember screaming, somebody's got their hand up me. They need to get it out. And it was this oh. nurse and she'd been told to do this, like a maneuver to hold your uterus. Oh. So because that was bleeding. So they were just trying to keep everything in place. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she'd never done that before. Um, the surgeon, the lady surgeon, was actually in the middle of another operation over at the other hospital and she got someone to cover her and she came over and she rushed over and they asked my mum whether I would prepare, prefer to, to die or have a hysterectomy. So it literally and my mum's like, my mum is just stood there like holding the baby and then the, all this is going on. What a decision for your mum to make. Well, there's no decision really, is there? There, is, like, there isn't. There isn't. It's always going to be life, isn't it? It's always going to be yeah. life, but it's what what a thing to be actually asked. Yeah. It's more so the then, fact that what, what you're told, isn't it? Basically, you're, it's no decision, as you say, but yeah. you're being told that your trauma. daughter your daughter could die, yeah. basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Whilst you're stood there holding um, the little baby. A newborn. Yeah. When Mark arrived... Um, he arrived to an empty room because obviously they'd taken me but the floor was covered in blood and he was just sat on a chair in there just like not knowing if I was going to live or die so so, and then I was put into intensive care and cared for there for a bit I don't really know how long I don't know you had your history just going back a couple bits you had your hysterectomy then so you rushed down had a full hysterectomy did you no, I've got one ovary okay. left. Mm-hmm. There's been some questions about whether I've got a cervix. And even on my medical notes, it says I'm overdue a smear. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't have a cervix. But actually, yeah, I didn't find that out for five years, really, because nobody knew what, what had gone on. So, so you had an um, emergency hysterectomy, but nobody when you came round nobody really explained well they they did they this the um the surgeon did explain mm. but I don't think in that space you can really take it in no, um, no and then definitely not. after that there was kind of no 
follow up really nothing so no um, post care after after that no let's sit down and tell you exactly what's gone on a few weeks later and none of that we did have a meeting with the surgeon a few weeks later right um she, i think she was quite traumatized as well yeah um but again we still didn't really have any understanding of what what had gone what they'd been taken and what they'd done I know that sounds really naive but at the time we just I, we were just both in this traumatic yeah we were just in this middle of this traumatic event um yeah. I don't know I don't think she told us whether I had a cervix or not I think it was more about what had actually happened and how she'd yeah. been at this other hospital and come over and that um, how the nurse had had to hold me together and it was more about that than it actually what they'd taken away from me yeah yeah I never knew what you know what it would mean to just have one ovary and also what it would look like is it just floating around in there what, yeah. what's it doing you know yeah, yeah. where is it yeah, yeah. you know yeah. everything's gone <laughs> So obviously, I, I don't, did anyone explain what would happen to your hormones? I mean, obviously, they didn't really explain about what would happen post hysterectomy anyway, let alone with your hormones. And No, nothing. I've had nothing. Yeah. Um, and actually, um, whenever I've asked the questions with the doctors, they, there's always this question about what do I have? Do I have a suffix? Um, when I asked for HRT, I was, on the con- I was having a conversation with the doctor. I think it was a locum. And she said, oh, I'm really sorry to have to ask you this, but do you have a cervix? So I said to Mark, I was like, do I have a cervix? Do I? Did they take that? Um, and he's like, no, you don't have one. And it, it's just, um, but it's all kind of just wrapped up in this madness of what had happened, really. Yeah. Do they know what actually happened then, Dawn? Do they know what happened with the infection, with the hemorrhaging? Do they know what caused that? Well, I, again, I found that out once we took them to court. So I found out that actually I was bleeding internally and that they didn't pick it up. One of the big mistakes that they made was when I was still in hospital initially after the um, C-section, they didn't check my uterus to make sure that it shrunk. There were actually 16 counts of negligence. Let's go back a little bit to, to and get to that point then. So you were in hospital for a few weeks? I think I was in hospital for four weeks. Then I came out and I'd managed to... Um, carry, I'd, I'd had this obsession that I still wanted to breastfeed, but I couldn't breastfeed because of the amount of drugs that I was on. Mm. They were pretty... I had a central line in my neck where mm. all the drugs were going in because all my veins were broken down. Mm. So I was in a bit of a mess, really. Um and with plastic, sur- I'd had to have plastic surgery as well. So they'd taken some skin off my leg and um, laid it in my stomach because they didn't want to sew me up in case the- there was still infection there. Right. So um, I had a week of just lying in bed and not able to move. I wasn't allowed right. to do anything. So by the end of it, I had to learn to walk again. I wasn't allowed home until I could walk up and down the stairs. Um, so yeah, I lost the use of my legs. Um, I was being cared for on the plastic boards. I have to say they were just lovely. And I think because I'd hemorrhaged there as well, they were all a bit nervous around me. Because yeah. um, they said that when the bell goes, it's usually because there's a heart attack or something, yeah. not a postpartum hemorrhage. Um, yeah. 
but in my bedroom there was a door um, for the bathroom and in my mind I just kept saying to myself you've just got to get in that door we just got to get in that door yeah. and they gave me this big machine so that I could um milk myself every day and they bring me hot flannels and I just kept pumping and pumping and it's like you're really ill why are you doing that but yeah. I think really actually that was focus I could do something yeah um and so I got home and I did manage to breastfeed him and then a week later I had to go back in and have more drugs so then I just gave up yeah but, um, I, I think we've been you know looking a, a bit about goals and things like that and it is those those goals like I've just got to get to that door I've just got to yeah, get once to you that, get to that door once yeah. you get the to next that door, one. I've just yeah. got to squeeze some more milk yeah. I've got, and, and those things I suppose Dawn so much was out of your control wasn't it but those yeah, two definitely. things that one was, it was your just goal, about survival yeah really. yeah just got to survive yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, Max was where? With your mum and, and Mark? With my mum. Yeah. And he, she used to walk him up to the hospital every day. Um, and he would come in and just cry. <laughs> it's just like, he doesn't yeah. like me. Doesn't know yeah. I used to feel like I was a failure because every time it was his birthday, that's for me, that's a trigger. Um, and I'd feel like I hadn't achieved anything. Um, and I was supposed to go back and have plastic surgery on my stomach. And I, I didn't, I nearly got there and I went and had an appointment and then I didn't go any further. And I just don't think that I could be in that situation again. Mm -hmm. um, I think one thing as well, because we were foster carers as well. Mm -hmm. So um, we, we stopped two years ago and we did a lot of training around trauma and, um, and that, that has really kind of taught us a lot about actually this is trauma we have trauma yeah. this is what happens mm. we are in your flight or fight and I think you know we did we fostered for six years we did newborns um and we loved it but when it got it just got too much really um yeah. with this not the children but the system and we just decided that actually we've been through enough and this is our time now yeah yeah, there's a lot of politics involved with the system, isn't there, sometimes, and that can cause, you know, so that, that can cause more stress. But I think, isn't it funny, we can do lots of training in, in trauma and all sorts of things, but it's quite often we don't it, recognize it in ourselves. Uh, no. um, but it's important too isn't it I think it's yeah. really important. And for you going back to what you said about thinking you were um, a, a failure you know nobody listening to your story in a million years would ever think there was there's nothing you could have done or you could have done differently no. that was any of your but it for it was, or, negligence, or, it, it was complete negligence but sometimes I don't know for women's it's just oh yeah it's in us isn't mm. it this guilt shame and fear it and and yeah um, like it, comments like oh you were never very good at giving birth <laughs> or um I think I used to go to, you know, like um, mother and baby groups with Max and my daughter and um, people would go, oh, how is your birth? And I would tell them and they wouldn't talk to me again. No. You know, they would completely like ignore me. Yeah. It was like they couldn't deal with wow. it. And I think that's where that you know that's where that I'm comes from yeah if, if nobody wants to listen if nobody wants to know about this then it it, it, it must but, be me you also said to us in, in one of your messages um oh it, it was probably your fault for being chubby 
And yes. Yeah. And I think that's another thing that a lot of people sort of feel, isn't it? That everything would be yeah. all right if we were skinny. I know. I've had that since my first one, that um, you're overweight. And when I had George, I was a size 14 and they were still <laughs> saying massive. that. And then, oh, a massive I know. 14. I know, massive. It's crazy, isn't it? I know. And then, um, you know, I wasn't as big as I am now, but I think... Um, when I had Max, yeah, I was chubby, but I wasn't. Well, what my friend says, she's a nurse. She says, um, even if you're chubby, it doesn't mean you're not entitled to good NHS care. Because <laughs> um, that carries on. So I avoid the doctor. I don't, you know, I hate, you know, if there's something wrong with me, she's going, you need to see a doctor. I'm like, oh, no, they're just saying I'm fat. And, um, you know, going with a sore ear and it's like. Oh, um, yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's so wrong isn't it yeah it's yeah. so wrong there's so much uh so much more um to weight issues to eating disorders to food issues and it's not yeah. it's not that you can't blame that on every single health problem can you I know yeah. and when they talk about it you know like over the years after that and I've just like well, I haven't you know I've done spending world and I've done weight watches and I've done this and I've done that but actually, I haven't had the, you know, when you're in trauma, you can't yeah. think about stuff. No. Um, but one of the things that's really helped me is I've had a personal trainer for 10 years. Brilliant. And um, when I started, he was just in a barn um, near Topsham. And it was great for me because there was nobody there. I could wear what I wanted. It didn't matter. Um, it was just me and him. And um and I saw him three times a week and I was so fit um, and we went running and I'm, I'm not a runner I remember one time I was running and my sports bra had come up <laughs> and he and he was like young quite he was like 19 and I'm going oh, I wasn't gonna... <laughs> let me sort myself um, out yeah. <laughs> and he calls um fart, he calls um sit-ups fart-ups <laughs> oh brilliant <laughs> yeah brilliant. so he's been great and actually because he was quite young and we've kind of I've been with him 10 years and I got really fit but I've never been thin that kept me sane just that's a real boost isn't yeah, it getting that, strong yeah. getting strong yeah fit, going out physical strength helps and, you with mental strength doesn't yeah it? they yeah. go together yeah. don't they mm -hmm. and and also dawn if you run you're a runner doesn't matter if you're mo farah <laughs> but if you're <laughs> running you're a runner doesn't, exactly. doesn't he used to he used to wear a hoodie with his personal trainer and his number and i was like please don't wear that when yeah. i <laughs> Let me just pretend it's just me and a friend going out for a run yeah don't wear don't wear that <laughs> and um so that that's been really good I did I also did um it's like a rapid eye movement therapy um heard of that yeah no, um, and I did that it. with a mental health um service and um that was really hard for me because I was sat in the waiting room where my clients had always sat and I was there that was quite wow. traumatic for me yeah I bet it was and what you have to do is relive everything that you've been through and then they tap you and the idea is that the memories that are the PTSD you know they're really um visual and they're right there and it's like it's just happened is that the idea is that you move it to the back of your mind um so that your brain processes them and so that it did help it was hard work yeah because um, you had to relive everything um, 
and then I did do some had some counseling at one point and then over the last two years I've been having hypnotherapy it's half an hour really talking about all the positive things that you've achieved so that you you're accessing your intellectual brain and then she you say she scores you and she says or what would what would where are you now are you in the middle are you a five or are you a ten you know and I when I started I was like a five or six and now I'm up to nine and then she says and what would get you to a ten and I to a ten for me was oh I'd really like my own kiln I'd like to do clay I don't want to do fostering anymore and it really helped me make that decision to to yeah. stop doing it um because again you're losing your identity so mm. that's your job yeah um and then we found a kiln during lockdown in St Ives that was broken and um we bought it for 200 pounds which is really cheap for wow. and my husband fixed it and then it was like well what do you want next what's your ideal and I'm like well I'd love a big house in the country with well I haven't got that bit yet but I have my husband's turned the garage into a studio Fantastic. so I'm yeah. doing it full time now so um yeah well, the hypnotherapy th- is definitely good. yeah she mm. it sounds amazing because um it's not really what you think uh, just from a hypnotherapist is it mm. uh, but I think no. having that um being able to as a soundboard almost somebody asking those questions I think we ask those questions sometimes ourselves. but again that that fear not fear but that feeling of guilt and you think but, why don't I deserve that what and nobody a, asks what I want it doesn't matter what I want yeah. because you're so used to giving yourself to others having that one person say to you what what do actually what would get you yeah, to what, attend? Do, you what and, do you want yeah. and for the first time you're thinking oh well I don't know what do I want and it's fantastic yeah. it could be I, anything you want anything doesn't yeah. matter yeah. yeah and I think there is a fear as well because if you say it out loud and you don't achieve it it's a fear of failure yeah there, there is definitely an element of fear there I think if you, if you say that and oh I didn't get there you know yeah you really or you're being greedy up. Yeah, you're asking too much. Yeah. How dare and you? Said that you got guilt and, and and fear, haven't you? You should there. be happy because you're alive. Yeah, you know, I've had that before. I was it's just going to say that there is a huge thing around that, isn't yeah. there? And I know people, you know, that have, you know, that cancer survivors that have said the same thing. Well, you know, you should be happy because you're alive, you know, and, and think, well, I am happy because I'm alive. It doesn't mean that I'm sad because I've lost two breasts or I'm sad because I've got yeah. this and, and that, all these things. And you might have found the same with those other mums, might have been thinking, well, you should, you should be, be lucky you've got your baby your baby's okay exactly yeah. exactly it goes back to Irene at nurture health mm. doesn't it talking yeah about definitely yeah, the that babies was really and not the mums well. yeah. yeah yeah and I don't think like Mark's had any help at all no he went no. to the doctors once and said that he was feeling low and because of what had gone on and they they just dismissed him and it was like a really brave thing for him to go yeah. and ask for help yeah and then he got nothing yeah you know. and then he won't go again because no. you think that, no. that you feel worse than he probably did when he walked in you and know that, yeah. that's where the partners are so left out as well and let, let down yeah. isn't it by the whole system mm. I think you know it's, it's it's kind of it changed our life and it made our life go in a completely different way yeah. to it was um what made you, you know, take what made you take the NHS to court was it something somebody said or was it just the way you were feeling or did you know there was negligence that, no we didn't we didn't know anything 
that and that was the reason we did it because we didn't know what had happened i see yeah. um, so i think max was two and we went and even then we were going oh it's really we're really bad we shouldn't be doing this you know it's the nhs mm. you shouldn't be suing them you know and so we felt guilty about that as well yeah. but i went and met this solicitor she was lovely she was called karen and she she cried when i told her my story and I think she'd given us an hour and then two hours later and I was going, oh, and, and this happened oh, and this happened <laughs> as well. And she was just, she just couldn't Taking believe head. what yeah, we'd no. been through. No. Um, and so they took on our case um, and luckily our um, health insurance had personal injury. So um, they funded our, our case. So yeah, a lot of um, specialists. And we met this really amazing one up in Bristol who actually told us what had happened. So, yeah, all those kind of things backed up that we knew something horrific had happened, but we didn't really know what. Yeah. yeah. Which is just crazy. And did um, that make, I imagine, it doesn't take the trauma away at all, but I imagine that was a huge relief because then you. It validates nothing. How yes. You're feeling, validation yeah. and justification. Yes. Yeah. And nine, so, is it nine counts of negligence or, or more than that? 16. 16. Wow. You'd, you'd hope. Um, the lessons were learned as well learned. for them. After that, you're just seeing specialists and it's just going backwards and forwards while they work out how much you're worth and how much the trauma has damaged your life. And um, Do you ever think you, you might or, or you would like to go back into your social work or is that, you, you sort of feel that's, that's part of your life that you did, done? Over yeah, I don't, I feel like now it's all of just self-care, really. Um, I feel like I've been looking after people for a long time um, and now it's my time. Brilliant. And um Mark that, always laughs. Yeah. He says, "You said you'd go back to work when Max was five, and he's now fifteen. But actually, <laughs> our life wasn't like that. Yeah. Um, and he's, you know, managed to support us, and um, you know, we've been, you know, we've been okay. You know, yeah. we, you know, we have a nice life. It's just yeah. that this thing happened. Yeah. And, and actually, not- today I, I was walking the dog." And I was talking to one of the dog walker ladies and I said, um, oh, I'm doing this podcast today and I'm a bit nervous. And she said, oh, why? What happened? And I told her and then I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm saying too much. She's, she's going to walk away in a minute because I'm, you know, share oversharing. And then um, and then she came back with her birth story and wow. then how horrific it was and it's like we, then we were having a conversation about how we're all just walking around walking our dogs yeah not understanding that people have these traumas in their life now i'm gone <laughs> oh. oh i'm gone oh sorry you carry on Lou. So, I'm going to go. so with your pots so i'm going to talk about your pots Okay. Talk about pots. Talk about pots. And we keep pies. saying, we keep saying, when are we talking to Wonky Pots by Dawn? That's what we, <laughs> you're now known as Wonky Pots by Dawn. Dawn. So, so Dawn, you got the kiln. Yeah. So kiln. You, you started pot it, potting, I was going to say. So, pottery. Pottery. Ceramics. Yeah. Fantastic. So I do How ram- did that start? I did, well, I did a course um, and the college. Yeah. And, um, I used to love clay when I was at school and and I said to Michael, I want to do a course. And um, I went along and I met this lady 
and um, the course was really busy and there wasn't enough space for anyone. She said, uh, oh, I've got a kiln. Would you like to come to my house? And um, so I went to her house on a Thursday evening and um, we'd sit there chatting like women's, like a women's circle, chatting and doing clay. And then, um, so she helped me. And then COVID hit. So then I felt like I couldn't really make things because I have to keep asking to use her her kiln so um once we got this this old kiln um mm. which we had no idea how it worked or <laughs> or temperatures on how you fire stuff or glazes or anything that's what so, google's for yeah yeah i know so there's been a lot of mistakes and lots of things haven't made it there's loads of things in my garden that um i have i've worked hard on but they haven't worked very well out they come out from the kiln um so they're just hanging up outside and um when people come around I give them a wonky pot <laughs> brilliant and, yeah brilliant I know and when I started um my hairdresser Claire offered to give me her space outside her shop in Fourth Street mm-hmm. and she said um I'll sell your pots for you because I was like oh I, they're not good enough nobody's gonna and that goes back to all that anxiety as well mm-hmm. about not feeling good enough and now I run my own stores and um it's been great Fantastic. actually and I I love it just, just built up that confidence mm-hmm. being able yeah. to be proud of what you've made not not sort of recoiling or oh, would if buy it if you want yeah yeah <laughs> and now you're like no, I still yeah 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 if you uh, like your stuff, don't worry if you don't. Yeah, don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, um, but it's like I'm on Etsy and I'm selling. Uh, I sold some things to Alaska the other day, and wow. I've sold quite a lot in America. What are you under? What? Where can people find Wonky you? Pots Wonky pots by door. Wonky pots by door. Yeah. It's just spelled as it as it sounds. Yeah, just one word. Just so I make. I started off making. Um, little tea light houses you all do it I love it it's it's such a a, a a difficult but a beautiful story I think Dawn is don't you yeah, and I, because... I just can't thank you enough for sharing it no. because there will be another somebody else out there like the lady on your dog walk and I'm so pleased yeah. that you had that experience and that she had that experience because it is it's all those you tell your story somebody would be listening to this podcast and yeah. it would just make so much difference to that person and you get an inkling if you're talking to somebody on a dog walk they don't want to listen you can kind of get an inkling yeah. and move on <laughs> but I think yeah. for everyone that doesn't there'll be three or four that that really do um and just one thing before you go dawn what how's your menopause now so you went in you weren't told anything but how how is it how is it now have you um i don't know um i still don't know that's the thing yeah. you know i've learned so much of you two and davina yeah. um we're on a par with davina yeah. obviously i know you are you're up there <laughs> um so i've still got this one ovary floating around somewhere Working Although very hard on its own. Working yeah. very hard. Um, I don't know if the symptoms I've had of PTSD are actually menopause. Because hmm. they're quite yeah. similar, some of them. Yeah. Um, you know, foggy brain, yeah. poor memory, yeah. um, anxiety, all those things. Um, so I'm taking um, two squirts of the gel. Good. Yeah. Rubbing it everywhere. 
but again nobody's asked me how I'm getting on with it or no this is what's lacking isn't it is this is this that advice and guidance and where you are now and what you need to do next because we change don't we evaluate it yeah yeah I mean you're one ovary now might have stopped working anyway you might not have on holiday completely yeah so you but you just don't know do you Mm. um yeah because I haven't had periods either so yeah I haven't had a period since I was 33 so you know that's usually how people monitor what's going on with their body Mm. yeah I don't have that no no. um definitely using the gel has definitely helped me um straight away I noticed a difference the the foggy brain and yeah. feeling more confident, generally mm. just feeling better yeah. in myself. So I must have needed it, otherwise I wouldn't have had yeah. those symptoms. And again, the only real problem that I'm experiencing is with my eczema is just being really bad. Yeah. So um, I spoke to the GP about it, and I've got to use more steroids and keep going with them, and not just stop when they gets a bit better, but just keep mm. going. Um, yeah. We're speaking to a skin specialist specialist in the new year. So we'll, oh, I'll great. write that down and we'll make sure we ask yeah, her about, um, about eczema. Yeah. Dawn, yeah. thank you so much. Thank it's you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. And thank you for sharing. Oh. And we're not running, nobody's going to be running away from your story. <laughs> well, hopefully it will help other people because I've never met anyone else who's no. been through what I've been through. Not even a, you know, some people might have been through a little, little bit, a little fraction of what you've been through. And it is, you know, it is an awful lot. So we're, I'm really pleased you're managing to actually get some self-care now and, you know, look after, look after you. Yes. Your wonky pots. Yeah. Wonky pots. Yeah. 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 We'll put put down your Etsy shop as well on on our podcast show notes. So thank you. So if you want a wonky pot for Christmas from Dawn, Dawn, you will know where to go. Thank you very much, Dawn. Dawn. our book collective so we are reading deborah james how to live when you could be dead and we're on chapter eight the healing power of laughter yes how did you get on Jen? oh i loved it really really good i think it's a really important chapter um because cancer is something that nobody wants to it's laugh shit, at literally it isn't is it? it is but um you you've got there's got to be you can't live life constantly in that under its shadow you've got to have a and laugh have so much sorrow in your you? life you've got to laugh you've yeah. got to laugh at the funny you've got to make things funny and it's you? not wrong to laugh no you know and I love this this quote at the very start oh I, is, I, yeah um, I looked at that as it's well. lovely yeah. and it says I never would have made it if I could not have laughed it lifted me momentarily out of this horrible situation just to, enough to make it livable um and she could have written that couldn't she really because yeah that's sort of exactly what what it what it did for her Lou wouldn't it how how did you find this chapter oh I, I loved it it was really uplifting but then the whole book is even though it's such a dark subject yeah so I, I love it when she says that her health deteriorated on in January of this year 2022 onwards and she was spending more and more time in hospital and was having particularly rough a rough weekend at one point and the only thing I was able to focus on where or whether or not I could fart Yes, she had bowel right. cancer, didn't she? Yeah. Um, but so she 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 ended up sharing a post with four hundred thousand people on her Instagram, 
about whether or not I could poo and fart. <laughs> and when I finally did fart, I put on a post up saying hallelujah. I didn't want to focus on how rough I was feeling. So she just hid behind her humor, didn't she? Yeah, yeah she did. All those, you know. Yeah, yes. and it's... it was just those simple things that she, you know. Yeah. Nobody yeah. was crying for her. No. I, I loved what she says here is humor is restorative for me, but also for the people around me. Even in the face of something as shattering as cancer, as a cancer diagnosis, the world does not and can't come to a complete standstill. And and that's that's so true. Yeah. Um, when most people listening will have known or they know somebody that is very ill mm. with cancer, whatever their diagnosis. And one of the things like you you said you sort of mentioned it just now one of the things my my friend uh Neen, who sadly uh, died of breast cancer 8 years ago um one thing she hated especially when her, she knew her diagnosis was stage 4 ca- cancer was anyone rubbing her arm oh going oh, oh doing the, oh, that sort of voice absolutely hated it Why it, would you do that it, anyway? i know but a lot of people do yeah. a lot of nurses do yeah some nurses would come rubber arm and you know and I suppose that works some people that's Mm. maybe what they want but um she like say she she wanted humor um but people are very yeah and I think what what's right you know and I think I think it's almost like they call it the dark sense of humor but it's not dark I don't think that's being dark it's just being actually grabbing those moments and and having a bit of fun and a bit of light relief from it all really whatever gets you through isn't it yeah and she even says, I really believe, one of her quotes in here, she says, I really believe that it's okay to laugh even in moments of darkness or sorrow. Just exactly what you were saying. Yeah. And she said her friend, Rachel Bland, didn't she, that died of breast cancer yeah. be- before her. Um, she she used to joke, um, she used to say, if we died at the same time, do you think we'd yeah. get a two for one on funeral flowers? Yeah. And she sent her a little name of the two Greek. Uh, grim reapers didn't she that's right yeah the day before she died yeah, yeah. and so I know to some people that might seem very wrong in 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 a sense but I, I I don't think so I think if that's your personality you've got to you've you've got to she she was up for living right to the yeah. end not not moping because no. she was dying she no. was up for living and that that's humor and all isn't absolutely. it absolutely even like you say she was because she was the patron of the bow council at UK um, and she often found herself um, in funny situations and she actually dressed up as a huge oh, yes. poo, didn't she? <laughs> she, but did. she didn't realize that she'd ordered um, a six-year-old's poo emoji costume. <laughs> yeah. She thought it was an adult's. So she just carried on running around the woods saying, I'm too sexy. She just, she, I mean, she just made life fun, didn't uh, yeah, she? Yeah, she And that did. must make life easier for people around her, her nearest and her dearest. I think that's the thing. People won't laugh until you do. Yeah. If, if you're the one with, with the problem or with the illness, whatever it may be, if you laugh, it's almost, I find, um, because emotions are so high, when somebody that's in it makes a joke, it gives you permission to laugh, and yeah. almost you get you can get quite hysterical, yeah, because it, it's it's that release of, yep. of, yeah. of, of, emotion. of emotion, yeah. Um, and she also goes into a little bit of the science, doesn't she, about um how laughter actually does uh, lead to the release of endorphins, uh, which helps the body to heal, um, or sorry, deal better with the pain. So it's actually making you better, yeah. 
you know, by by laughing. Yeah. I remember um, going back to my friend Neen once and, um, you know, a couple of things. She asked me to do some, she'd never really done any yoga, but she, because her legs wouldn't work at the end. They just had no muscle tone. And she asked me to do a bit of yoga with her. So I tried doing some yoga with her in bed and she tried it and she went, yeah. The thing is, Jin, uh, I'm just fucking lazy. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't get any further with no, the yoga. No, that was it. No, that was the end that, of it. Uh, that was it. But um, oh, yeah, you've you've you have what to are find... we without our sense of humor? Exactly. You need to find the funny. Yeah, definitely. Def- yeah. Next time we're going to yes. read chapter nine. There's always something to be grateful for. So I think we're going to be looking at a bit of gratitude, don't I you? Think we are. Do you know every chapter? I think I can't wait for that one. I know. I think ultimately it's well it does I suppose it's obvious it all goes comes back to hope doesn't it Uh, her rebellious hope yeah that's why it's so uplifting yeah brilliant well join in uh, join in if you uh, if you can So you did the foodie this uh, week Lou didn't you what have you got for us so I I quite a few comments that some people don't have slow cookers or aren't confident enough so I thought you know I'm going to do it because we're frugal cooking I'm going to do a one pot dinner that's nice and nutritious and super cheap so I have made or I did make because I've already eaten it um, a risotto a pea risotto oh I love risotto so risotto risotto a risotto so with the risotto, I never add alcohol to my risottos because one... Um, it's a it, waste of alcohol for you, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and it cuts down on the cost. And also mm. it doesn't make it very family friendly if you've got something with a load of alcohol in it for children. Yeah. So it's a nice, easy one from the BBC Good Food that I've made many times before. So it's uh, some butter or non-dairy, uh, onion fi- finely chopped, 300 grams of frozen peas that you need to like cook and then just blitz them you mm. don't have to blitz them I'm don't always do that one to two liters of veg stock and I've said one to two because actually I've taken out the alcohol which was 700 mils right. of alcohol um, I usually use a nice vegetable stock just just as um, flavorsome and then you'll need a bit of grated parmesan if you haven't got parmesan a nice strong cheddar or, or if, if you're vegan, vegan a vegan alternative. alternative. Yeah. I'll tell you what, Marks and Spencer, back to them again, um, they do a lovely dairy-free parmesan. Well, there you go. Yeah, really nice. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, it, it likes you to dress it with pea shoots. Again, that's oh. pretty, you know, yeah. expensive, unless you're growing them yourself in the garden, which I, I did in the summer. Or unless you've got Jamie Oliver coming to dinner and exactly. you want to impress. But you could just put a little bit of parsley or mint on yeah. over the top. Or mint. Yeah, mm, nice. I know. Um, Not so, coriander. See, I love a bit of coriander. Oh. No. No. So you melt the butter, add the onions. You can put a little garlic in there as well. Sweat it down. Um, and then you, um, it's a funny term. Sorry, Lou, you're in the, on a roll there. It's a funny term, isn't it? Sweating, sweat it down. It does sweat though, because you don't want to burn it. You don't want to no. never brown your onion. But onion smells of sweat. <laughs> and there you go. So it's sweating. It's sweating. Literally, it's sweating itself down. Um, put some peas into the food processor and add the stock. Um, stir in the rice and and just keep adding the rice. Uh, well, add all the rice in and just keep then adding in your um, veg stock. And just get, the only thing with the risotto, 
you got to keep stirring it. It's constant. It's, you've got to have everything constant. around that you need. Grab your cup just, of tea. Just prep. Put some <coughs> yeah. music on. But I, it's, it's just a lovely, tasty dinner. Cheap. How long does pot. it take from, from about 20 to 30 minutes? So just in one pot. That's not an awful lot of um, no, energy and used, it is, is And it? it's on a low heat yeah. as well because you're, yeah. not, you're not putting anything on high. So it's in a low heat. Um, and peas are cheap. Best thing about it, Lou, because you're, you're like stirring. an excited chicken. Oh, today. I know. I'm going to make that. The best thing about it um, is you're standing over this pot. You don't need to put the heating on. No, <laughs> Just stand don't. over the pot for half an exactly. hour. Stirring. There exactly. you go. You got your heat in as well. Now there is a way of doing this in the slow cooker. I've never made a slow cooker risotto, but I'm more than happy to give it a whirl if somebody wants me to try it out first. Um, so yeah. There we go. It might nice. be worth it. I wonder what happens because normal risotto, as you just said, you add the rice slowly be, and you keep stirring. I think so. it would just be very, you, I think you probably need a lot of vegetable stock. Yeah, you would. Yeah. So it'd be a bit dry. I would do a nice one. I've seen it online. So I'll, I'll look into it. But yeah, there we go. That's my food. Fantastic. I look forward to trying that, Lou. Oh, and I will just say one thing that I found out this week. Aldi, Aldi, Aldi however you want to say it, you know the shop. Um, They have, at the moment, um, an air fryer, which apparently on all the the reviews, they are, on all the reviews that have been done, um, they are up there with the Ninja, but a lot less money. So they are £89 at the moment in Aldi. They've sold out online, but if you've got an Aldi near you, they are still in some shops, so go and have a little look. Or you could go and get your love eggs, same price. It depends. Priorities. Exactly. Priorities, Lou, yeah. WI, gents. So my little, I set you your little weekly invitation when it's actually over a fortnight. Yeah. Was to read a poem a day. Yes. How did thy get on? Thy did get on very thy well. I, I did read. I did what I was told and I oh, did remember I to would. read. First two days I completely forgot. Yeah. Um, but then I thought, okay. And then I found, um, because I think I thought I might forget again, and I found a website that that will send you, email you a poem a day. Oh. Um, and it was all American uh, poets, but I thought that's fine because I'll probably find my own poets yes. anyway, but at least I know I'm going to read one a day. Yeah. I didn't like any of those. Yeah. I, 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 you've got um, fi- to find your tribe with a poem. I, some poems are very difficult, oh, aren't they? Oh, yes. My brain doesn't compute. Yeah, if, they the, don't, if they don't make sense, yeah. I can't be doing with them. And there's a lot of poems that don't make any sense. No, I know. And they've got to be right for you. Yeah, they have. They've got to speak to you, haven't yes, they? Yes, they have. Some of them, I just thought that might as well be in another language. Mm. There's just like jumbled words put together. And I thought, I don't know if that's supposed to be very clever. Probably not. It's probably somebody thinking they're very clever. Well, yes, that's what um, I've, I've learned, you know. And then when I did my um, literature degree, a lot of, we read a lot of poetry. And some of them, I'd be there thinking, what the hell? And I'd put my hand up and say, I don't understand. And then luckily, the person next to me going, no, I don't either. You know, it's one of those oh, things in a room good. where you're all going, uh-huh. The emperor's mm-hmm. new clothes. Yeah. And I yeah. was like, what? don't understand i don't understand why is it amazing can you tell because you really want to know yeah, why can, is it amazing yeah, can, you can you tell you me? me and then somebody else go well actually i don't either no 
So it is, yeah, I think it's, you're right. It's a, it's a bit like when there's a joke on the telly and you go, <laughs> and somebody said, what did they say? And you think, well, I, don't I don't know, I didn't hear it, I just laughed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so did you find a favourite the one? I found a favourite, which I thought or it might. a favourite poet and poem. I, yes, I did mention Becky Hemsley, didn't you I, did. on the last one. And after I mentioned it, we had a lovely message from Julie C in Scotland again, who who told us, I've never been a big poetry fan, but thought I'd check out Becky Hemsley after your recommendation. And she is great. I think my favourite so far is A Billion Dreams. I might even have a stab at writing something myself. So I hope you do, do a haiku, couldn't she? Yes. Let us know. I'd love to. I'll read it out. Don't just send me random words because I won't read. I won't won't, know. I won't know. But the poem she's on about... um, Go and see it. Becky Hemsley's just got a YouTube channel now and you can go and watch it and hear her voice speak it. It's called A Billion Dreams is the one that Julie said about it. Absolutely blows your mind. Oh, it's just so moving. So moving. Um, and she's got another one called Fire, which I love. And the lovely Jan, sorry, I'm probably going to get your name wrong. Is it Brereton? I don't know how you say it. Um, she's a fantastic poet. And she's got one which I'm going to put on um, our Instagram next week, which is called Dear Body. And it's like a little love letter to her to oh, her body fantastic. that's really, really good. Um, I also found some of the poetry books that I've already got. Nikita Gill, um, I don't know if you've Brilliant. heard of, and Jasmine Kerr, yeah. who's absolutely amazing. And this this one oh, by, by Donna. Donna, Donna Ashworth. It's more words to live by but rather than I, poetry. She, but I love like her because she does loads of poetry and they a lot of them do speak to you, yeah, don't they? they so there's some great ones on grief I, as well. She does. And there's a bit of a theme, I suppose, because they're yeah. all kind of feminist poetry yeah, but you know what it's, it's horses for courses it is isn't it so I suppose it's poetry I don't know what they taught you in your degree but for me it's whatever speaks to you at that yeah, time and if I you're going so. through certain stuff that's yeah. what speaks to you yeah. isn't it it's like a good song isn't it it is because I'll, I'll tell you my favorite in a minute but you so Lou was meant to send me a load of um poets to look at I only remembered this morning yeah. that was two weeks ago so I haven't actually sort of looked at many other I don't poets. think you need to if it's no. if you found something that you're happy with so be it yeah now my favorite is um breathe by Becky Hemsley okay go go for it she sat at the back and they said she was shy she led from the front and they hated her pride they asked her advice and then questioned her guidance They branded her loud, then were shocked by her silence. When she shared no ambition, they said she was sad. So she told them her dreams and they said she was mad. They told her they'd listen, then covered her ears and gave her a hug while they laughed at her fears. And she listened to all of the thinking she should be the girl they told her to be the best as she could. But one day she asked what was best for herself instead of trying to please everyone else. So she walked to the forest and she stood with the trees. She heard the wind whisper and the dan- and danced with the leaves. She spoke to the willow, the elm and the pine, and she told them what she'd been told time after time. She told them she felt she was never enough. She was either too little or far, far too much, too loud or too quiet, too fierce or too weak too wise or too foolish, too bold or too meek. Then she found a small clearing surrounded by firs, and she stopped and she heard what the trees said to her. And she sat there for hours, not wanting to leave. For the forest said nothing, it just let her breathe. 
I love that. So how about, did you already have a, a favourite? Oh, I've got, I have so many. I have a fa- every day is a different, <laughs> it I changes. It, it changes. It's like your favourite book. I think for me, every day it changes. Mm. I mean, I, I went back and I had a look at like Elizabeth Barrett <laughs> Browning, How Do I Lovely, Let Me Count the Ways. That's always, yeah. you know, the breadth yeah. and the depth. Um, one of the Kipling ones I absolutely love um, is Smuggler's Song. And it's, it's, if you wake at midnight and hear the horse's feet, don't go drawing back the blind or look in the street. Them that ask no questions ain't told a lie. Watch the wall, my darling, while the gentlemen go by. Five and twenty ponies trotting through the dark. Brandy for the parson, backy for the clerk. Laces for a lady, letters for a spy. Watch the wall, my darling, while the gentlemen go by. I love that because I like yeah. the rhythm of that it's one. It's got a love. I think it's the rhythm that it's the I rhythm. like. It's almost like the horse's, the horse's yes. feet, you see, isn't it? it so is. that, that's the rhythm. But, yeah. Um, but, but you know what? After reading so many poems, my favourite is still Maya Angelou, Phenomenal Woman. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've just written down the, the first <coughs> the first verse because it's, it's a it's long quite poem. Long, isn't it? Pretty Woman. Pretty women wonder where, where my secrets lie. I'm not cute or built to suit a fashion model size. But when I start to tell them they think I'm telling lies, I say it's in the reach of my arms, the span of my hips, the stride of my step, the curl of my lips. I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman. That's me. Mm. I just love it. I mean, it goes it's on amazing. And, on, yeah. and if you listen to her, her oh. accent and her fantastic voice, her attitude, we'll, we will put it on. I'll find I it mean, and we've we'll used put it before, but we I have. We'll put it on our goosebumps. Instagram and it's brilliant. But look it up on YouTube. It's yeah. yeah, that is beautiful, Lou. Thank you for that. So, do we have a new WI? Yes, we do have a new one. Oh, Lordy. Uh, yeah, you might not like oh, it, Lou. Well, um, let me pen so, out. So we get a lot of rain in this country, don't we? And um, I was looking, because I had a bit of fashion news as well. I contained it all in this one little it's not WI. Your puddle pants again. It's not me puddle pants, although they might, they might, you know, you could combine the two. Um, so anyway, Lou, have you heard that the granny rain bonnet is back? The what? The granny rain bonnet. Do you remember when we first started hairdressing? Because I started in quite an old-fashioned hairdressers did a lot of shampoos and sets the plastic and you had you had for sale under the counter was the plastic tempence rain bonnet it was tempence because they didn't want to get their shampoo and set yeah, wet. well it's no. back um the tele according to the telegraph who say the utilitarian aesthetic which has been dominating the catwalks over the past couple of years means that the rain hood is back in fashion in 2022 this is part bucket hat part sou'wester and currently gracing some of the most stylish heads in London and beyond and I thought well if it's good enough for London and beyond it's good enough for me and Lou so I bought some rain bonnets they're not really rain bucket they're not bucket hats (laughs) (laughs) it's a shower cap it's basically like a shower cap (laughs) so I'm going to show you we this is what we've got to do I'm going to invite you and, and I've got to do as well to wear it every time you go out in the rain take a picture and you've got to style it out okay so this is what they look like Oh, there you go, Lou. My there God, it's you got go. the dots it's on got it. It's got the spots everything. on it. And funnily enough, after I set this um, WI, I saw um, an Instagram post Where by... Where the hell did you get these? Oh, online, you can get anything online. 1979, <laughs> I haven't seen one of these. But look how good it is. It's got a little peak and everything. <laughs> it's beautiful. 
so we'll put photos of ourselves um actually we might do our you know coming up in these uh rain rain hats um yeah i actually saw it on instagram i can't look at you seriously you've got a rain <laughs> you gave it to me <laughs> it's not raining though um but on naomi watts's instagram she put an instagram up of her um, making the the watching is it i don't watch it i don't i'm not watching no, I'm so not watching the, watcher. the watcher the witch no not the, the watcher. witcher that's something watcher. Else. It, is the watcher. it is the watcher and she put a thing on and she had one of these on not in the watcher i think it was when this she was there you go plastic. it is it is sorry not very good um it's probably not don't, don't very tell. good for yeah. the yeah but we were, we will be wearing them more than once it's not a single use plastic hat they will come in very useful um so if you can grab yourself a rain hat and we'd love to see some Let's photos don't rain for the next week You'll be the height. <laughs> you'll be the height for fashion. Let's Lou. hope we have a dry spell. Thanks, Jin. The next time it's raining and we dog, we dog walk, dog walk dogging. together. We'll go I'm dogging together dogging with our hats. With me rain hat on. <laughs> Quote of the week. Now this this week comes from Jinty. So what have you got for us, Jin? I thought we'd stick with our theme about bravery and courage. So, courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is the quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I will try again tomorrow. This is Mary Ann Radmacher. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, and how right is that? You don't need to roar your courage. It's not about jumping out of planes. No. None Sometimes you can't roar, can you? No, I love that, Jim. Yeah. Good. Thank you. So we hope your tea's not gone cold and that you'll join us next Sunday for The Collective. We would love you to subscribe, favourite and review our podcast. It really helps us spread the word. Please head over to our Instagram page, Womankind Collective, to leave comments or DM us with your thoughts or watch us and our guests on our Womankind Collective YouTube channel. You can subscribe. And lastly, you will find all the links, recipes, guest details, and our hashtag Where's My Clinic campaign petition from Menopause Clinic in Devon on the podcast show notes. Well, I'm looking out the window, and thank Christ it's still dry, so I don't have to put me on. You don't on. have to put your rain hat on just now. No. Anyway, it's lunchtime. A couple of love eggs, Lou. Oh, get off. Yeah. See you next week. Mm-hmm.